Welcome back, everyone. This is the Changelog. We're a member-supported blog podcast and weekly email covering what's fresh and what's new in open source. Check out the blog at thechangelog.com or our past shows at 5by5.tv slash changelog. And subscribe to the Changelog Weekly. That's our weekly email we send out covering everything that hits our open source radar. You don't want to miss it. Subscribe at thechangelog.com slash weekly. And you're listening to episode 118, and John Long is joining me to talk about SaaS, the SaaS way, uh, the SaaSway.com, by the way, um, open publishing on GitHub, middleman, serve, and a bunch of cool topics. We had a, a fun conversation. Uh, today's show is sponsored by DigitalOcean, FreshBooks, and TopTile. We'll tell you a bit more about FreshBooks later in the show and also TopTile as well. But DigitalOcean, we, we're hosted on DigitalOcean. We've been working with DigitalOcean for several months now. They're a partner of ours, and they're a simple cloud hosting provider that's dedicated to offering the most intuitive ways to spin up a cloud server. In, in literally 55 seconds, you can have a full-on server created with root access and, and you're off to the races. It just doesn't get any easier than that, really. Pricing plans start affordably at 5 bucks a month for half a gig of RAM, 20 gigs of drive space. That's SSD drive space, by the way. One CPU, one terabyte of transfer. And if you only need the server for a little bit, for a couple hours or for a couple days or for a week, they even have it where you can rent by the hour, basically. And it costs just .007 of a cent an hour that's less than a penny an hour super affordable uh, we got a special promo code just for our listeners use the promo code changelog april to get a ten dollar credit when you sign up head to digitalocean.com to get started and now on to the show we're joined today by uh my good friend john long john we uh i guess this show is kind of funny because i wanted to have you back on the show this is not your first time on the changelog so uh, it's kind of like welcome back too right yeah, um, I think the last time we were on here, uh, I was talking about Radiant. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And uh, the funny part is, is that I got to say, like, what, three years ago now we started the Sassway, the, the blog, the Sassway? Yeah. Was it three years ago? It's it's getting to the point where it's hard for me to remember how long ago it was. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think it is right around three. Yeah, it's so crazy to think, like, three years ago, though, it's... I don't even know, but um, yeah. So I wanted to have you back on the show one because uh, you're pretty awesome, and two, we we've got this kind of, I guess, somewhat of a new announcement. It's been about two weeks or three weeks now since we've had this out there. But the Sassway, just to kind of fill everybody in, the Sassway.com is a is a blog John and I started together. Maybe we're saying roughly three years ago. We'll we'll figure out the exact mark there. But it looks uh, like it was 2011. Was it? Yeah. So, yeah, it was like around, I guess, yeah, July, August 2011. Yeah. yeah. So we're coming up. So roughly three years. Yeah, just just shy. But uh, so we started this blog because we were super passionate about writing CSS the SAS way. And, uh, and so we wanted to, like, be the SAS jerk, so to speak. We wanted to be that, that person to, like, tell the world about SAS and compare it to... You know, various ways you can do it with CSS, but make your code more readable or use mix-ins or use libraries and all this fun stuff. So we wanted to share our, our great fun stuff with the SAS way. And uh, you had a project called SAS Watch that you started with Brandon Mathis, who's also a core contributor to Compass, works at uh, MongoHQ, and he's pretty well known actually for Octopress, right? Yeah. Although I'm not sure, I, I, I'm not sure if Brandon was involved. I know I had asked him uh, at one point, 
if he would be interested in be, in being a part of it. But he's he's a busy guy, yeah. uh, and I didn't get a whole lot of traction on that. Um, I think I was doing that for it wasn't long. It was actually just a month or so by the time you contacted ah, me. Okay. Yeah. Well, before, uh, I guess unless we assume somebody went back and listened to, I'm not even sure what the episode was that you were on before that we gave you your other intro here on The Change Law, but uh, for those who may not know who John W. Long is, who uh, who are you, John? Uh, so I'm, uh, I, I'm a user interface designer. Uh, I work for uh, User Voice. Uh, we make uh, help desk and feedback software. Um, yeah, I live in Cary, North Carolina, uh, work in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, yeah. Past accomplishments is Radiant CMS and. Yeah, I was the creator of Radiant CMS and, uh, I also serve, um, yeah, a number of open source projects, um, on GitHub. Yeah. (laughs) Are you still, uh, involved with. Um, with Ruby Lang and the, I guess the site at least. You know what that has seemed seems like it's uh, picked up traction. They moved away from Radiant at a certain point, and um, I've just been happy to see that other people care about that site and are maintaining it, uh, which is great. Are you still involved so, in Radiant then, or no? Um, uh, I guess officially I still am, but unofficially I haven't been involved with the project for a long time Hmm. okay yeah how do you feel about that you're pretty happy or just whatever um i mean i still have a lot of things that i would love to see radiant be able to do um but honestly most of the stuff that i work on nowadays i'm very content to use a static site generator um i mean having the site in a database unless you're working with like multiple people or uh it's kind of a drag. Yeah. It's great. It's great to be able to check stuff in to get and, um, you know, and even deploy, uh, through Git on like Heroku or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to update it. Uh, there was a lot of work that went into it when we went, when I first worked on it, pushed it out. I think there was, I worked on it like eight months, almost solid. Um, and I just don't have that kind of time to devote to it anymore. Um, at this point, uh, Jim Gay, uh, sh- shout out to him, uh, Saturn Flyer on, on Twitter, uh, has been maintaining Radiant for a number of years and has done a great job uh, at it. So I'm very content to let him lead the, lead the charge with that. And Jim um, actually runs kind of a consult a web consultancy and is building sites every day with radiant cms so i think he's the right guy to um to work on it i think one of the things that was hard for me was after i created radiant um i ended up not do not building a lot of content oriented websites instead i my career sort of went towards web applications it's kind of funny how that works out right applications in general and so yeah, there's times when I feel like I'm kind of isolated for that problem space. Um, you know, I, I don't understand it as well. Yeah. So. What's a good tee up for what we've done with the SaaS with us? So the SaaS way started out 
as uh, as a Nesta CMS, which is a Ruby um, file based. I guess is the probably easiest way to say it is a static site. Uh, I don't think Nesta has. I think it might have that feature, but it's not. It's not meant to be a generator. It's meant to be basically a flat file based CMS written in Ruby. Right. Um, and that was a great project. It's it's what helped lift it off the ground. You know, we, you and I were able to easily uh, tee that up pretty quickly. We deployed it to Heroku. It was, you know, super fast because we took, you know, we took advantage of like varnish and caching and other things that Heroku provides and all the other things that just a, a flat file system kind of CMS provides. But um, here about three weeks ago, we took this turn to, to finally, I mean, like we said, the, the site's been out there for almost almost three years and we our original model was kind of to you know go out to the SaaS world and sort of recruit those that were uh, for lack of better terms movers and shakers people that were sharing you know their knowledge with the SaaS community on how to best write CSS the SaaS way and uh, you and I talked I would say probably like eight months ago about open sourcing the SaaS way and oddly enough and I'll come clean but I felt a little apprehensive about doing it. I don't know why, but uh, I'm really glad you forced us to do it because I think it's really a much better fit for um, for the content the way it is. So why don't, why don't you share with the listeners why you feel passionate about how the SaaS way meets up with this Git flow kind of check your content into Git kind of mentality, this sort of open publishing way of, of doing things. Yeah, I... Um... I mean, I think part of it for me uh, has just been over the last couple of years getting more and more familiar with the way GitHub works with uh, pull requests and all that. Um, I mean, we, we're passionate users of Git at User Voice and probably about every other yeah. company these days. And that uh, that workflow of just being able to work on a change, push it into a branch, uh, ask for people to review it, comment on it, whatever – merge uh it just seems ideal for uh you know building text-based documents i guess you'd say um i you know what one aspect of it too is we're a blog about html um and css and um you know sas and so like having the ability to quickly drop in and write <laughs> write that kind of code alongside writing code for an article uh, is pretty awesome. Um, so, I mean, in general, the fact that it is a uh, uh, static file-based content management system, uh, it's all checked in on there on GitHub. It means it's a lot easier for people to come alongside and submit new articles, um, also uh, make changes, fix things on the site if it's not displaying correctly. Um, and really, I think that the big thing that I love about this is, is that we've reversed the um, trying to go out and recruit people kind of scenario, which we still try and recruit people to write stuff on the SaaS way, to, to it, it being also something where people can come to us and say, hey, I have an article idea, an idea for this article. What would you think? And then they fork the repository, they write it up, and send us a pull request. And um, 
you know, we, we've had uh, two articles, I guess, since we uh, opened it up this way. And uh, it, uh, you know, these are from people that we didn't know about. And um, they've worked out to be fantastic articles for us filling, you know, some holes uh, in, in what we had. And so one of the things that I've struggled with, too, is, is that sometimes you really need an article on a topic. But one of your go-to people, I guess, is not like, doesn't really want to write about that. Um, and so really freeing up, uh, just for anybody to be able to contribute to it has been, I think a very good thing for the SAS way. Yeah. I mean, considering that SAS and compass, um, and I guess the SAS world is, is known to be you know, it's their open source technologies. Anyways, it, it would make sense to, and this is why I said I, I self-admitted that uh, that I was sort of the bottleneck. I mean, it's kind of funny too that the fact that you know I help lead the changelog, who you know focuses on uh, what's fresh and new and open source, and here I am being a little apprehensive about opening up this publishing flow, just because I think part of me doesn't want to lose control. But then I I learned something along this path that I realized that it wasn't really control we were trying to achieve it was it was really uh openness and I, I think the last probably you know few weeks i've really changed my uh idea because i've been closely involved in this project being open source and kind of um helping curate this content and manage it it's it's i can see now the light so to speak yeah by having it open so like you said it's it's really easy for someone to to fork the repository and you know don't worry about messing up there is no such thing as messing up and you know they they sent us an idea in worst case scenario we helped them evolve that idea of an article um into something even better and that helps lift up the uh you know the SaaS community and like you'd mentioned having a certain topic to kind of write upon we don't always have a go-to person uh on the team already to to kind of write one of those and somebody can bring that idea to us and it's uh, it's a lot easier, and we. Uh, I like the way too, also how we've kind of dissected the SaaS way as content. You got a, you got beginner, which makes sense because not everybody is uh, is you know a SaaS guru, so to speak. You know, no one really has an expertise. Not everybody has an expertise level, and then you got intermediate, and then you got advanced, and that's fit pretty well too. Can you speak to maybe how that's played into helping um, the community kind of? Uh, with training will, so to speak, get to mastery with, with SAS? Well, I mean, I, the best way to kind of answer that, in my opinion, is is that I, you know, I've, I've been using SAS for a number of years, mm -hmm. and um, I know it pretty well backwards and forwards, but even so, for some reason, I can never remember the syntax for like how to write a for loop in SAS. <laughs> and so tell, let me, wait, hang thing, on. Do you go back to the thing, article then and every and keep well, like refreshing so, yourself? So the funniest thing is, is that like I'll just type it into Google like for loop SAS, and like the first thing that comes up is an article on the SAS way. Yeah. Um, on how to write, you know, for loops and if statements and things like that, and so. I really see us, um, and I, I think we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit about, you know, are we a news organization or are we, um, you know, are, are we trying to stay sort of current in the things that we're writing about? Um, 
I mean, normally, like with a blog, it's like this progressive mm-hmm. uh, series of ideas that you know you're blogging about. But the SaaS way has really become much more the website about uh, tutorials and the best tutorials um, that you can find on SaaS. Uh, for the most part, are curated and, and kept here on the SaaS way. Um, so I I definitely see it as like I, I feel like the service that we're providing in the SaaS community is just that easy onboarding and like understanding how to um, to use SaaS, how to structure your SaaS projects, all, all of that kind of stuff. Where we're trying to write about it to help and assist you, and so for a number of the just getting started sort of topics, um, I think we're we've we've been a great strength to the SaaS community and in that regard um making it so much easier for people to get get on board so that's where kind of i would see the beginner stuff um in particular um we just had one of the articles that was contributed was on you know choosing great variable names um and in some ways it's a really simple article um but he's pointing out uh this guy Frank from South Africa is just pointing out that, um, you know, naming variables like red and blue and green and things like that and using those throughout your code uh, isn't a good idea. Um, instead, using variable names like brand color or accent color or trying to think of the semantic sort of value that you're capturing there yeah. um, is helpful. And while for somebody who's been writing code for a long time, that might seem um, <laughs> just so obvious that you should, you know, choose good variable names. For people that the, – the thing that we have to remember is, is that a lot of people that are using SAS are people that have come to it from the design world, not the coding world. And they they need tips on, like, how to code well and um, – so yeah, I, I, I think I've kind of gotten off track here, but no, um, I feel you though. I mean, you know, I think the point you're making there that's really important is that, um, is that while that particular article you're talking about from, from Frank is uh, seems simplistic, it's the obvious sometimes that I think we serve the science community because, yeah, sure, it it makes sense that, you know, that variables should be you know, should have semantic names and they should make sense, but not everybody really understands that. And it's, I think it almost feels like a position that the community blesses. Like this is a community guideline for lack of better terms. And because it ends up on the SAS way and makes it through this open publishing model where everyone who watches and stars the repo kind of gets these updates. Like there's a new issue, there's a new pull request, there's some dialogue happening about this particular article. And it gets through this system that even though it's an obvious idea, choosing great variable names Sure, that is obvious, but I think the way Frank and even the comment you left today, pointing back to Gina's uh, style guide for Sasslang, you know that's that's remarkable. Like, you know, she's got all these different colors identified, and they're not like slightly pink and a little bit more pink. It's like Hotbush and Bouquet and Venus. You know, they're not they got like cool names, and you know, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and then she uses those colors. She assigns them to uh, like text colors yeah. and um, accent colors and background colors. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I so I would see us a, as kind of a jumping off point to kind of discuss best practices and how how they're implemented. There's been a number of articles where the way that I finish it up is just, hey, go check out these other repositories. Right. You know, go look at what Compass does. Go look at at these other projects, Octopress and and other things to see how you structure your SaaS projects or, or other things like that. So some of it, um, you know, I know uh, SaaS community has been really blessed with some very talented people working on the, uh, the SaaS uh, laying website. Um, but a, a lot of where they're at right now is just kind of informational, um, you know, just trying to help people download and, get started with SAS kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas I think we've, the SAS way is more about that conversation and, um, you know, how to use SAS in your everyday life kind of thing. Um, so. Yeah. A while back yeah. someone asked me, I can't recall who it was, but somebody said, well, oh, this, you know, SAS has good documentation and so does Compass. Why are you guys creating this blog? Like, what's the point? And I'm like, well, not everybody wants to go and read documentation. I mean, documentation is great. You need it. It works. But to get started, somebody doesn't go always to the docs and say, okay, let me just get lost in there. You kind of need this guide. And I feel like what we've done with the SaaS way and what we try to do at least, what we invite people to do and the reason why we've open sourced it to to invite everyone to fork it and sub- submit their article and pull request is that uh, – you know, going to the docs and reading those isn't always an easy way to get started or an easy way to reach mastery or to know that, you know, there's a better way to do variable naming. Uh, sometimes you need somebody from the community to kind of guide you through that. And that's that's sort of like, you know, the documentation serves that, but it's it's a little dry, you know, whereas we kind of bring it to life. We bring it to life, and um, I think we kind of show like how you practically use something. Yeah. So, like to get, give you an example, um, I wrote an article a couple of months ago about um, mix-ins for semi-transparent colors. Um, and you know, how do you provide like browser fallbacks? Not all browsers support RGBA colors, um, and since they don't, like particularly Internet Explorer eight, like how can you use SAS to make your life easier um, with calculating two sets of colors for those attributes? And so that's what that article is about. But what you're introduced to is, well, functions like the RGBA. Um, you're also introduced to mix-ins uh, in the course of the article. And you're like seeing like how you know these are developed, what the thought processes are, are, are behind that. And you might... See, come across something like default attributes or something like that that you didn't know about before. Um, so I think a lot of what we do is sort of a community awareness kind of thing, uh, just encouraging people to talk about and think about SaaS and how they're using it um, in that regard and l- sort of learn you're not going to read documentation from page one to, to the end kind of thing. Right. Um, instead, you're going to pick up and try and use what you have, and sometimes you don't realize there are, you know, better ways to do that. So, um, by giving these practical articles, people are able to, um, you know, jump in, see how someone else is doing something, and um, 
learn from that. So let's pause the show for just a minute and give a shout out to our sponsor, Top Tile. For those of you out there who are freelancing, or maybe you'd like to freelance or even kind of try out a freelance like project while you're maintaining your full time position, you have to check out Top Tile. Top Tile is a new, rapidly growing network of some of the most elite engineers in the world. They're distributed all across the globe. Their primary focus is connecting their ecosystem of top engineers and top companies. You work on special projects with companies like Airbnb, IDO, Zendesk, and many others. You can work remotely, on a beach, or anywhere in the world. Uh, to get started, head to toptow.com slash developer and click join top tau. That's a nice big old green button. You cannot miss it. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash developer. Let's talk about the, the process of taking the SAS way and making it open source. What, uh, you know, I know that I did the original design and then the second, uh, the second redo, I guess is, uh, is pretty much all you, like you, um, took the old repo, pulled all the content out, moved us to middleman and a bunch of other fun stuff. You used SAS, I'm sure behind the scenes to, you know, write the styles. Did you use a framework? You know, what was the process of like redesigning and then going open source? Yeah, so we, I mean, we had a number of reasons uh, to redesign. One was that the, um, we really wanted to update the logo and sort of the feel of the site. Um, SAS had had the um, the woman on the phone. Right. Um, the sassy lady with the phone in her hand. The, sa- the sassy lady with the phone in her hand. And Hampton um, has a funny story about that. <laughs> the... Um, with the SAS website, they redesigned the logo, um, and we wanted to update our branding to kind of reflect that. So that that was part of what motivated um, me sort of getting in, rethinking the design. Um, I think, you know, from a, a higher level, I was also interested in just kind of simplifying some of the things. Um, we wanted the site to be more responsive. One of the things that I'm learning more and more of is, is that a lot of times people are reading these things on the go, yeah, whether you're, on mobile, you know, for sure, whether you're on the bus or, you know, frankly on the toilet at work, <laughs> you know, you're pulling it up on your phone and you're looking at it and oh you're reading your Twitter stream. Why do they got to be at work while they're on the toilet? Why, why at work? I, I'm trying to think of a productive reason to be on the toilet. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so, so, you know, the mobile side of it was, was part of it. Um, I think the other thing that I was really kind of interested in too was in just illustrating, particularly some of the modular CSS stuff I've been writing about on the the CSS, the SAS way for um, a while. I wanted to spend some time to kind of make our CSS more modular in that regard. Um, so a lot of things there. Uh, we ended up. Um, I been playing around with middleman and middleman to me i i can't really say enough good things about it i've created my own thing uh serve um which is kind of in the same space um it's really for um rapid prototyping rails applications but it also generates static sites kind of similar to, to middleman middleman um to me is kind of the um 
Ruby has had a series of static size generators. Yeah. Uh, Nesta. Um, the oldest one well, is Staticmatic. Staticmatic. Um, there, there's, there's really like six or seven of them that have like played a major sort of role in it. And Middleman is kind of the latecomer, but he's sort of learned from everybody yeah. in terms of like what people want to do with their static sites. Uh, Jekyll's another one of them. Um, and Middleman has this plugin architecture uh, and sort of a data model that uh, those two things really make it a killer content management system. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, they have plugins for doing the blog portion of it. And I ended up just writing a little Ruby code uh, and helpers uh, to uh, pull out the information I needed instead of actually using the plugin that they have. Um, because the structure of our site was significantly different than if we had chosen to use their, their blog plugin. Um, and it was impressive to me that I was still able to, you can do things like uh, go through the list of all of the pages on your site and you know grab their summaries and filter them in different ways. And having the ability to do that um, you know, in code to build those category pages and other things like that that we needed um, and to do it exactly according to our old structure was just, amazing um i thought we were gonna have to you know do a lot more with redirects or something like that yeah. when we upgraded the site um, it's always tough when you move a site from even one similar system because nesta wasn't very far off from middleman honestly i mean they're pretty right. similar monsters but obviously a slightly different structure but the urls that we chose originally were meant to be short and sweet not you know extra category sections and segments in the URL. It's, it was pretty straightforward. So I was really happy with that too, that we were able to keep the URL structure one, just because it fit and two, just to not have to do the redirects like you'd mentioned. Right. And I think, um, I mean, one of the things that I was really pleased with was, um, it was almost like I was just deleting code in order to make it work well in middleman. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, there were times where we had, like, in Nesta had to use, like, multiple partials and sort of, mm -hmm. like, these hacks to, like, go around things. And um, in Middleman, when the final product was there, there were, like, less files that were had to be used yeah. to, to, like, get it. And, um, yeah, I, so it's... Even Middleman and Jekyll, <laughs> though, for those listening and thinking, like, you know, Middleman, Jekyll, how do you choose... And why do we choose middleman? They're very similar. I mean, even they both have the front matter. They both have similar ecosystems. And I think Jekyll's starting to get a lot more new life with uh, with Parker taking over and um, taking the helm of you know leading that. I mean, it's growing into its own thing as well. And Octopress has always been there leading the way as well with it. But middleman, like you had said, is kind of like in this middle ground of – and the usability of it is really, really nice nice as well and the fact that it's got that plugin ecosystem and it's got tons of stuff like a blog plugin and all sorts of cool stuff that you can do with it yeah it's um i mean my my feeling is is i would much rather use middleman and i've used jekyll before um jekyll just seems to be uh 
it sort of pushes you into that blog paradigm kind of thing. It's a little bit like um, WordPress years ago, uh, how every WordPress site was like a blog kind of right. thing. At first it was a blog and then you kind of morphed yeah. it into a site. And now it's become more of a content management system WordPress has, um, or at least that's my understanding. I haven't used WordPress in years. Um, but I th And I think Jekyll's on a similar journey. But middleman is a content management system first, and in my mind, uh, it just makes a lot more of the decisions the right way in in that regard. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan, and I I mean, serve basically competes with middleman on uh, in some people's minds as well. So you know, I'm a passionate middleman user, and I I wrote my own thing. So yeah, I I, I was always uh, I always wondered about that too because. You know, I, I was a huge fan of your serve framework, which, like you had said, is very similar to Middleman and competes with it. And I think um, there was even a point, too, when I was like, man, Middleman really requires a ton whenever you do, you know, gem install Middleman. It, a lot yeah. comes with it. And I think with serve, you kind of leverage tilt a lot more. And was it tilt or what was the, the one particular library that you were, other Ruby library you were leveraging to kind of keep things, you know, less dependencies? Do you recall? Um, I mean, I didn't. Well, okay, so Rack is probably what you're talking about. It, originally, Serve was not built on Rack, um, and at a certain point, we rewrote it so that it was on top of Rack. Um, I th and at a certain point, we rewrote it so that it was on top of Tilt as well. Um, so I think Middleman and Serve are fairly comparable in that regard now um i still feel like serve what i love about serve particularly using it in unstructured mode you can just throw a bunch of files in a directory and you know just type the serve command and it knows how to you know serve up sass if you want sass or serve up you know the other stuff um but when you get to something so it's almost like the code pen tool kind of thing yeah that's that's sort of where serve sweet spot is um but when you get to something a little bit bigger and really a site that you want to manage, I think middleman wins hands down. I'd still probably use serve for prototyping Rails apps. One of the one of the things that I love about it is that um, for the most part you use the exact same calls in serve as you would in Rails to do, you know, helper methods and things like that. Um, and middleman somewhat follows that. They make some different decisions on certain things. And I think um, one uses render and the other uses partial to like call out to. You know, right. Yeah. That that kind of bugged me when you don't at least adhere to other, I guess, uh, what, what do you call it? Like just patterns the way that other, you know. Right. That it, that had been set up. So I, I, you know, in that regard, if you're coming from Rails, you know, I think serves still things like link to, for example, you know. Right. But Serve also has a hard time right now uh, exporting certain projects. Like, um, it, it, there's more work to be done to make Serve awesome, um, and Middleman is just much better architected. So, um, where's Serve at nowadays? Like, is it uh, where's the priority for you on that? Is it something you're still working on? Um, it. <sighs> I, every once in a while, I will spend time on serve. Yeah, 
I, you know, part of forced. it for me, part of it for me is, is that I've like serve works for me for prototyping rails applications. It like scratches that itch like really well. And middleman works for me for static sites like really well. So where serve could grow is in becoming more like middleman. Right. And that's not, um, that doesn't make any sense because there's but now I'm like, well, but there's already middleman. And um, it's already solving that problem. So part, I don't know. I, you know, I've having started. I guess if you count serve two major open source projects, I'm more than content to let them die at this stage <laughs> <laughs> because of the amount of management that they take. I wonder what this says uh, your track record, John. You you create CMS so they die, or something like that. I. I don't know. I, I I'm just saying that like open source is a ton of work. Yeah. Um it is a ton of work. And it I'm happy when a, another tool that's better comes along and replaces something that I was working on. What is that um, what does it happen then? I, I know we're kind of hanging out on the serve topic for a little bit maybe too long but uh bear with us listeners but uh for serve uh, do you have issues coming in often do you have people that are like using it for production and you know they're they're bugging you about it is that or is it is it just kind of quiet yeah i mean there's there's um probably the biggest thing right now right now is uh people really want export to work exactly as it does when it's serving serving the project and unfortunately um because of the way rack middleware works and all of that if you have certain things installed it's not going to render your site exactly as you wrote it. Now, if you're just doing vanilla serve, it certainly will. Um, but if you started to do some customization um, and all of that, the export doesn't know how to read your config.ru to figure out what what that extra middleware is doing, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So there's there's some work that needs to be done basically to give serve a configuration file to store some of those things in uh, so that it can use it when it's exporting. It can use the configuration part of it to figure out how to rewrite URLs or, or various things like that. Um, yeah. And, and then there's things that like, I mean, just comparing it to middleman, middleman just does so much better. Um, I mean, I love being able to like access encode every single page on my site and build navigation or do whatever I wanted. Whereas with serve, I would have to like write code to navigate the file system. And there's no concept of like front matter or anything like that. Um, so it's a much, much different system. We're going to take a quick pause and give a shout out to our sponsor, FreshBooks. Now we use FreshBooks and we absolutely love FreshBooks. We couldn't do business without them. So I was super excited to hear that they were supporting 5x5 and the changelog. So um, we, we just kind of got through this tax season. And, and I bet if you weren't using FreshBooks, your life was probably a bit of a mess. And tell me if this sounds right, if this is you. You're hunting for receipts, digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. And that's, that's the worst. You know, FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, uh, get real-time business reports with just a couple clicks. 
Uh, I mean, plus you can work from anywhere with FreshBooks. You got mobile apps. You got one for your phone. You got one for your tablet. You can do it online. You know, through the webs. I mean, anywhere you are, you've got FreshBooks available to you. And like I said, we use FreshBooks. Um, we do a lot of invoicing through spon- uh, through sponsorships and partners and stuff like that. So, I mean, we would. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have FreshBooks. I just say it like that. I really don't. It's it's the bee's knees to our business. And the sooner you start using FreshBooks, the sooner you can start focusing on the work you love. And instead of focusing on your uh, on your your paperwork, you can focus on the work. And for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for sixty days. Uh, to get started, visit getfreshbooks.com now and enter the change log in the how did you hear about us section when signing up. Huge thanks to FreshBooks for, for sponsoring uh, 5x5 of the change log. We absolutely love FreshBooks. See, I, I was never really a huge fan of, I guess, the front matter all the time because I was, uh, for for a while there, I had to write everything in Hamel. And I've since kind of like laid that down. I don't I don't really, <laughs> you know, I don't have to write everything in Hamel anymore. But I used to be a diehard Hamel fan. Like, I would not write it. And that's probably to my detriment that I wouldn't <laughs> write it unless it was in Hamel. Um, but, you know, some front matter mixed with Hamel, a Hamel file kind of, you know, your syntax highlighter kind of gets out of whack or whatever. But, um, yeah, I was, yeah. I liked the, the, the front matter, though, of Middleman. I think, you know, we were able to, like, really extend things quite some, quite some bit and kind of going back to the SAS way. One of the cool things you were doing, um, with this latest version is, is, um, what was the, there's an article, I think it's in, um, it's still in a pull request for SAS 3.3. Yeah. So we, we wrote one for, we wrote an article for SAS 3.3 and what's awesome about this article from a technical perspective is is that it has a completely different header from right. all the other articles which is something that I want to experiment uh, with is um, writing uh, or or doing a little bit more art direction I guess you could say with our articles um, and so there's some HTML code that goes along with that CSS all of that um, and we couldn't have done that easily with something that wasn't a, a file-based kind of system. Um, I know there there are some plugins for WordPress for shipping custom CSS with each article kind of thing. Um, you know, and I guess if you're writing a lot in HTML or other things like that, then, you know, you could use a plugin and do it in WordPress, but again, you end up with stuff in the database, and if you change something, like, I don't know, there's this awkward relationship on sites like that where... Um, You're kind of mixing code design with content, and it's yeah, not a not um, a perfect mix. Well, and what's sto- what's stored in the database, and what's stored on you know actually in code, right? Uh, and if you don't store it in your Git repository, it's stored in the database. Then hopefully your database stores versions of stuff that you work on, but a lot of times it doesn't, right. and uh, so. And then, and because we can work in pull requests, uh, that can sort of sit on its side with all the code changes that are needed, and then it can be merged in when when SAS three dot three drops. Um, you know, we'll pull that article over, and um, you know, it'll it'll work perfectly. Yeah. Um, but until then, we don't need all of that extra CSS and other stuff, um, and the site will continue to, you know, function. 
So. And you were able to pull that um, additional partial in for that kind of like you'd mentioned that art directed kind of editorial style header, the different header. You were able to do that with just simple YAML or uh, front matter. Right, right. Yeah, the front matter concepts uh pretty pretty powerful. You can add whatever you want to it in middleman and um then in your layout or whatever it is that you're, you know, you can check that front matter and um do something based off of that. Um there are times too like one of the differences between Nesta and middleman was that Nesta had the concept of page title. Is this right? Am I remembering this right or was that a, some sort of custom attribute that you put on there? I you know? can't recall. I think it did well, have where, a... the way the way our stuff was set up was that uh, in Nesta we had in the front matter a title. Yes. Attribute. Yeah. And middleman by default didn't have that. Uh, sorry, no. The way Nesta works is it grabs the H1. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that, and I didn't like grabs that. The H1. Oh, it it's me not crazy. in the in the front matter. And so I had all these articles that had no titles, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so what I did was I wrote a little helper that basically pre-renders the entire HTML, so it gets rendered twice, and grabs the the H1 and you know pulls that out as the title for it, um, and it works. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, the fact that you could do that in Middleman is pretty awesome to me. Um, you, that you have access to like the whole document, you can render it however you want. Um, it's very customizable. I like the fact that you were able to do a lot of stuff with um, with the URLs too, like just trimming off things like .html if you had that, and um, you know directories with indexes in them becoming you know uh, pretty URLs. And I, I think we even had an issue with our comments when we first launched the SAS where we had we, we forgot to put the trailing backslash on there or I think it was on there by default with middleman and we wanted to pull it off because the the previous version of the site didn't didn't handle um, or didn't have a trailing backslash um, on the URL and that actually caused um, what is that we use for the comments discus. Yeah, yeah, yeah discus, discus. it caused that trouble. to think it was a different you know, page. So therefore, it had a different uh, comment stream, and we were all we're all just messed up there. But got that fixed, and it's still not technically fixed. But uh, you know, yeah, we have the issues still open. We're we're getting close. <laughs> you need to spend some time on that on a weekend, yeah. or maybe maybe one of our listeners, yeah, maybe a, yeah, maybe a listener would fix that for us. <laughs> uh, you you see what's going on here? This is just a giant conspiracy between Adam and me to get you the listener to write our code <laughs> yes yes and our articles yes uh, absolutely yes. let's you know what speaking of that let's give some shout outs to those who have contributed to the sas over the years you got me and you who started it uh, i don't know if there are any particular or i'm just going down the contributors list on the sas which is uh mario ricaldi uh mason wendell peter gaston who wrote a book on css i think it was um, something on CSS3 like a couple years ago. Really, really awesome book. I liked it. Uh, Roy, not sure how you say your last name. Uh, Hugo, how would you say his last name? Uh, I do not you know. Don't, you don't know it that either? Fr- it's French. Uh, so, uh, so I won't even so, try then. Giradel? Uh, Ger- Giradel? I'm not sure. And then you got Frank S. I don't know what, I don't know why Frank is so elusive with his last name, but <laughs> Frank S. <laughs> well, that was just the awesome thing. Like, here's this 
guy posting from South Africa, and he doesn't want to tell us his last name. And I'm okay with that, yeah. you know? Frank S. Because <laughs> he wrote an awesome article for yeah. us. He's got some more in the pipe, too, I think. And then Daniel uh, M's. I'ms. Probably I'ms, I'm going to guess. And then over the years, too, we've also had uh, Chris Epstein come and do some technical editing for us. Win Netherland um, has done some technical editing for us as well. And I don't think either of them really ever plan to write anything. Um, I think Chris is just too busy anyways, and so is Win. But they were definitely SAS fans, of course, Win in. Uh, Win and Chris wrote the the book, SAS, and that was it, SAS and Compass in Action from... Um, yeah. Uh, who's the Manny, Manny. I that's think. right Manny. so you know obviously huge fans and you know there's been several times when we've had an article go out that we're like yeah we need technical eyes on that one make sure that the you know what we were talking about actually does make sense and and they come in and kind of like do some blessing but see we always operated on github before but we just never had it open it was in a private repo and it was you know this kind of so for any of you out there who who are rocking out private content-based repos similar to the SAS way, you might want to consider an open publishing uh, methodology because I got to say, man, I think the, the, you know, the new design definitely um, lends to it being a middleman, being so easy to use uh, lends to it. But I think the future of the SAS way is definitely bright and being able to fork it. And we even have a contributing doc to kind of guide you through actually contributing and, and whatnot. And uh, I think we've got some plans even to kind of earmark some different topics for people, lack of better terms, maybe assignments to, so to speak. And if you want to pick it up, you can pick it up uh, or bring your own carrot and write about what you want. So that's uh pretty excited, man. Pretty excited about it. Yeah. So, um, so I guess following the normal rhythm of doing, a change log show. I know this time is a little tiny bit different than maybe our past shows, um, but I still want to treat it the same in, in some respects. So uh, we always ask some cool questions at the end that we're kind of known for. And um, the first question I'll ask you, John, is um, is if you weren't writing SAS, what would you be writing? <laughs> I mean, definitely CSS, right? Um <laughs> I'm so grateful that there is is SAS. Uh, I mean, or maybe less if less was around. I don't know. If there wasn't SAS, would we have Stylus? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, so I do other things um, as well. I I write a lot of JavaScript. I uh, love JavaScript. Um, it's probably my favorite programming language these yeah. days. Uh, it, I would, it would have definitely been Ruby. I love Ruby's elegance, um, but I don't get to do a lot of UI programming in Ruby, and I, I think that's why I love JavaScript. It just lets me get in there and make stuff awesome. Um, yeah. I'm not a Hamel fan. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've become not a Hamel fan. Uh, I'd, I'd rather just keep it simple. I'm almost, I'm almost a purist at that point. Just if I yeah. can't, I'm, I'd almost just rather write in the case of a Ruby project like ERB or straight HTML. Yeah, I, I like the other ways you can do. But I feel like I've kind of turned away from abstractions lately. Like I like, you know, for the hardcore uh, 
JavaScript uh, developer who wants to use CoffeeScript, that totally makes sense. And I think it makes sense to use it when it makes sense for you and your project and your team. Um, you know, and the same with SAS and CSS, that relationship. I feel like at each layer there's some sort of abstraction, but with HTML, I just felt like like it was just didn't make any sense anymore. For a while, I loved it, loved the short and easy syntax, but after a while, it would somehow bite you in the butt. So I just got sick of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had a kind of a similar journey with Hamel. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I remember thinking about it in terms of Rails views, and this is technical, but that it seemed to help make um, our Rails view code cleaner um, because it forced you to write stuff on one line and it, whenever you just inserted a whole block of Ruby code in Hamel, it looks just awful. Um, whereas in a regular view, you can kind of get away with it looking yeah. okay. Um, so I, I did like that effect. Um, but at the same time, struggling with indentation and why is it not rendering? And um, I don't know. I'm, I, I've sort of backed away from that. I've also backed away from the indented syntax on, on SAS for similar reasons in that it's just not enough like regular web development, I think, to um, to merit like making it. It doesn't have enough benefits to merit an entirely new syntax. Yeah, um, I, I'm, that's, that's probably an easy way to sum up what I just said. I think that's how I feel is like, you almost put yourself on an island doing that, and it might be a good island. And you know, like you had said, it might clean up your Rails view code in the in the case of Ham or something like that. But what you end up doing is you get the community kind of going one direction, and you're over here in, in another, and you're hanging out in like white space aware land. And it's just you can't copy somebody else's code from a tutorial, or you can't like easily riff right. or pair with somebody or kind of share ideas. And I think even for like when you're collaborating over code, it's like, well, you're using one version of the syntax and I'm using another. So we can't, we can't work together. And that's, that's a problem. Collaboration is really the yeah. thing. I mean, I, I already, I mean, I, I just hate that point in any project where you're like, well, so what's your favorite tool to do this right. kind of thing? You know, it's like, um, you know, I'd rather not have to make those decisions in some ways. Um, you know, I, I mean, even less or SAS or, or other things like that. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm going to choose SAS. I write a blog about the SAS, but the um, SAS. <laughs> but you know, the fact is, I'm there are going to be some some of those battles on every project, and I just wasn't willing to fight the Hamel battle. <laughs> yes, yes, that's where I'm at with you. I'm I'm right there. Okay, um, I guess that was a, a long answer, but uh, totally cool. Okay, so if uh, if you had a weekend totally free, uh, no one to hang out with, nothing planned, nowhere to go, you kind of just got this weekend all to yourself, um, what open source projects are on your radar that you're going to hack with? Um, could be something new, could be something you've been wanting to play with for a while but just haven't had the time. I I mean I've been doing a lot of work with Backbone lately. Um I have a friend who's a big fan of Angular. Um and I would love to probably do an app in Angular just to get a feel for how that works. Mm -hmm. Angular seems to have a lot of the promise of it's sort of an unstructured 
it has structure, but it, it's it's unstructured in a way that like I feel like maybe Ember Ember JS is a little too structured um, in terms of what it and too opinionated in terms of what it what it does. And then Backbone is like the reverse of that. It's like no structure <laughs> and how do you do stuff uh in backbone at all oh i gotta write my own you know it's it's like writing rails sometimes like you, you have to write your own big chunks of the framework in order to get to work um and angular seems to i don't know a little bit more of a of the right balance i like their templating stuff so i would probably if i was doing a new app i'd probably work with angular um that would be one thing um, uh, I would be interested probably in doing using uh, SUSE in SAS um, on a project. Get a feel for it. I have heard some great things from Eric about SUSE too. Um, he's been working on SUSE is going to be else? one of the oldest. Um, I guess we used to call them grid frameworks, and now they've become just bootstraps or frameworks or I don't know even what you CSS frameworks <laughs> like it started out as a grid and it was like the it was the one that was I think I have the story right where it was based on somebody else's ideas but it was written specifically with SAS in mind yeah well I think that SUSE has been the enduring grid framework in SAS land yeah. <laughs> um, it's been there through all the iterations of web development like it pre-responsive post-responsive right and i I think that like the and i'm a big fan of a very modular approach approach to writing your your css so like for the sas way we're using foundations grid framework actually um so spent a little bit of time and ripped that out so that you know we could use it because i like one of the things about foundation is is that it has this concept of for the responsive side of things, like three different view. You have your, like your desktop, you have your tablet, and then you have your phone yeah. view, essentially. And um, you can put these classes on things to to size it. And as a basic default grid framework, it's amazing. But what where like SUSE like to me has some advantages is in allowing you to just kind of go hog wild and crazy in the way that you implement your your framework like it has no requirements about like class names that you have to use or um it's all mix in based then it's it's um it's all mix in based uh you know I, I think he has some like generators to make it easier for you um but you can use it without using those grid classes which some people like um about it i feel like you could use susie to kind of create a custom work for your website so i'm very interested in it from from that way but again i mean i haven't seriously used it we're using it on um one of our user voice sites right now um so i've i've sort of seen an implementation of it um but yeah i would i i I definitely think there's more to investigate there um seems like a great framework so Backbone, you're a fan of if you had a weekend free, you'd be hacking on Angular because you want to you want to play with that and you've heard lots of good stuff about it. And if uh, your front end would, would use SUSE. Yeah, I think so. And so let's talk about maybe that just maybe elongate that for like maybe one more minute, which is 
um, you know, how well does the SAS fit into? Because you have stylus in the JavaScript world, right? You got um, that's kind of par for the course if you're going to do something there. What happens whenever you want to use something like SUSE? Um, which is it Compass agnostic or is it not? Um, it's a Compass a Compass extension, yeah. Uh, it's built on top of Compass, and and the main reason to do that is that um, you can you can basically package it up as a gem, yeah. your extension as a gem, and then Compass can load it from that gem. Um, whereas if if you use something else, then you you end up in this scenario where you dump your styles the styles from that thing into a certain directory, and then you have to figure out the loading yourself. Right. Um, so the compass extensions, it, it is a true compass extension in that regard. Yeah. So you kind of got some, some hurdles to, to hop over to hack with angular and use compass Ruby based gems potentially, or yeah. at least be both sides of the fence, right? Yeah. It seems like a lot of SAS stuff is being distributed over, um, Bower, yeah. like with JavaScript. Um, so depending on what the back end is, I might end up using, uh, I don't know. That would be interesting. Yeah. Well, when you cross that bridge and you get that weekend, you let us know. That's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to know. All right. Yeah. Last question for you then. Um, th this is the fun one too. So, I mean, feel free to think on this one for, for about a half a second, but, uh, who would you say is, let's, let's open it up for you since you're. Uh, designer and developer who is you know like your web hero you know who who is someone that has kind of like either been guidance to you maybe it's somebody who taught you early on somebody took you under their wing could be whatever it could be you know a past school teacher that uh, might have inspired you but who's someone you would, you would consider a hero um, to you in terms of web development um I mean it's probably. I, I mean, there, there's definitely a bunch of people in my life in that way. Um, different coworkers, bosses, that kind of thing. In terms of a inspirational kind of person, I would probably have to go with uh, Sean Inman, um, and what he's done in sort of. Sean does design and development, uh, and he's built his own products, and that's kind of the intersection of like all of the things I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I admire him a whole lot. Uh, I'd I would love to do exactly what he's doing right now, getting into like game development, and I don't know. It seems like uh, I love going over to his blog and looking at at what he's working on. So he, he I mean, he's definitely one. Um, yeah, I mean, so many, so many web heroes. Douglas Bowman uh, used to be a big fan of his. Uh, I can remember when I was working on Radiant. Um, I uh, the way that he had built his site, like I tried to make Radiant so that it could do a site like his really easily. He he used to curate links on design and books yeah. and all of those types of things. So I wanted Radiant to be able to make it easy to curate those. Um, you know, lists of things, and and it did. Um, so, yeah, 
I don't know. It's it's really interesting. When I first got into web development, there were all of these guys that I looked up to. Um, and it seems like some of them have are not as active anymore in communicating. Nobody blogs anymore, I guess is what it is. Everybody microblogs. I mean, that's it's the the Twitter thing, you know. Everybody's there. Yeah, Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, it's on... it's kind of changed. I mean, um... well, Doug, you know, you said Douglas Bowman, so he used to blog a lot, and he doesn't blog much anymore. And I think Sean Emman did as well. And I think that was the rage. Was that was the way we kind of originally began um, to social network, you know? And then since then, actual social networks with following and actual lists not blog roles in your sidebar sort of took over that, uh, you know, replaced that older model and people, they, they, you're right. They do blog a lot less. I think before we kind of had to, to get our opinions out there, whereas now there's different ways we can share our opinions, like on podcasts and stuff like that. But, uh, Sean Inman, I think he's been mentioned at least once before for sure as a, as a hero on the show. And I gotta agree. I'm huge Sean Inman fan. Um, I think, I can't even imagine how awesome that guy is to be able to design, code, think through products, and he's a game designer. I mean, like he can—he did that. Um, I forget what this what the project was called. I think it was called like Retro Something um, on Kickstarter. He and I think two or three other fellows were doing like really quick iterative game design, where like they'd do a game right. a week or something like that, or a game a month. And it was I, yeah. I I backed that and got the T-shirt to to prove it, but uh, literally got the T-shirt to prove it. Um, <laughs> and that wasn't just a joke or something to say, but I, I think he's an awesome guy, man. I like I think he is just really talented, and it's the, those kinds of people that man, you just wish they shared a bit more. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Doug, why are you not blogging anymore? Well, I, I don't mean like you. you know, why aren't you blogging every day? But like you know, they've got such insights to like. Um, you know, Doug is a really, really blessed designer. He's had a really great track history of great design, everything from the version two, I think, which is kind of forever ago of Wired and a number of other like redesigns that he was a part of. And now he's leading design at Twitter and he's, you know, part of the team that's responsible for all the new great ways Twitter's rolling out their design sign. I, I don't mean share like that. I mean, share some of their wisdom, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's definitely a season mm. thing um, for a lot of those guys. I, I mean, it's 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 hard to be in, in the public spot, spotlight in that regard. I, I've heard that about Sean that um, he never really expected to become <laughs> one of the web gods, <laughs> I guess you could say, <laughs> um, and uh, that that he's he's really a you know kind of a quiet guy in that regard, humble person. Um, yeah. And, uh, very talented, but, um, you know, just wasn't expecting to be in the spotlight and I don't know. I, I yeah, but the fans, we guys, we want to yeah. know. <laughs> we'll have to get Sean on the show. Cause I mean, I know that he's, um, I'm not sure how active he, he is in open source, but, um, we'll have to get into at least release something, uh, open source. So we can get him on the show. It's kind of like part of the course. You have to, you know. Oh, you have to release something. Open I mean, you know, it's the change log. You know. Ah. Open source moves fast. Keep up. Yeah. So we need a new show. 
where we can we can just interview our our heroes here. Well, you know, to to speak on that, I mean, I think one of the things we want to do here um, is I would like to do I would like to have more shows, but the the problem that comes into play is is the same reason with open source. You just have only a limited amount of time, and so right. I've just tried to like bite off only as much as I can chew. Because if I I want to do everything I do to excellence, you know. I don't want to like half butt anything. Yeah, I kind of get that. I, I do. I do wonder about like a special feature though, or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would. So, something, something to think about. We'll do it though. I mean, because it's actually um, an idea I've wanted to do, which was just um, take the show that we have here because it's pretty popular. It's on five by five. Uh, you know, everyone who listens to it loves it. A lot of people write in. Um, and say it's their favorite show. And I appreciate everyone who does that. I mean, it's certainly it's our spirits and keeps the team, you know, motivated and whatnot. But um, I'd like to expand a little bit more on the show and, and do something a little different. I think the show's great. We have people on, we talk about open source and it's kind of got this rhythm, but I kind of want to break it up and do um, not so much more shows, but like different segments, you know, not always do the same exact show every time. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something along the lines of like the, you know, you have the news every yeah. night, but then there's like um, the morning show and, you know, other things yeah, like exactly. that. exactly. You know, th- there's there's got to be room to kind of branch out a little we're bit. Gonna, we're going to, long story short, we're going to we're gonna um, play with that idea a bit more, but uh, n- no promises. We'll see. <laughs> It's on our uh, it's on our to do list of thinking through. That's for sure. But yeah, you know, John, it's been great having you back on the show. I think that um, you know, in all ways that you contribute to open source, I know that I've certainly learned a lot from you. You've been a great friend over the years, and um, you know, working with you on the SaaS way and all that it's going to do in the community. It's just looking forward to where where we're taking that, and I think. You know, we'll say it here just because I know we're going to do it soon, but we've talked about um, SAS Weekly or some sort of weekly newsletter we're going to do. So we're starting to execute on that as well. And that'll be open as well, um, the same as, as everything else is. I'm really excited about the future, man, for us. Yeah, me too. Very, very excited about it. And uh, so. yeah, the com. go there, um, github.com slash the way. Got a couple repos there. We've got our identity repo there if you need to use a logo. Uh, by the way, we didn't even get to mention that, but Berman Painter, thank you so much for your hard work on SAS's logo and then subsequently our our inheritance of uh, of your skills to rock out the SAS way. And then I guess you, John, for your tweaked version of it, right? Your tweaked version is a little bit different than Berman's, but using his art. So it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, Berman got it going for us, and um, then I I sort of put together the final uh, part of it. But it's his brush strokes yeah. <laughs> that are yeah. amazing. But yeah, the sasway.com, uh, github.com slash the sasway if you want to fork the repo and share your thoughts. Open an issue if you just want to chime in with us and say hello. I mean, issues don't have to just be problems. They could be ideas. Say hello. Um, and, and we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts on your, uh, what, what gets you excited about SAS and writing CSS the SAS way and just what gets you excited about design. So share your thoughts, but 
I also want to give a shout out to our uh, our sponsor of the show, DigitalOcean and TopTile for supporting the show. We definitely love you guys. DigitalOcean.com and TopTile.com, T-O-P-T-A-L.com. Not uh, somebody wrote in and said, "I'm not sure what you say when you say TopTile, Adam. Is it is it top like towel, like a bath towel?" <laughs> and I'm like, I can't help but they got a hard to pronounce business name. Um, it's TopTile, T-O-P-T-A-L.com. But uh, yeah, John, thank you so much for, for joining us today on the show. And thanks so much for all that you do. Uh, until we hear from you again, let's say goodbye for now. Okay. Thanks so much.